welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. This morning, you know, we are going to continue our series called Living the Best Life, and today we're going to be talking about moving forward and the problems you and I face. And I don't know about you, but we all have our set of problems that we are facing, amen? Uh, there's a lot of things that, that come our way that sometimes we expect or don't expect, and there are times that, you know, you faced problems when you were younger, and today you look back on them and you think that was not very big of a problem in the first place, and it, but just at that time, it was a significant problem to you, and, but now as you get older, um, you know, you're facing a new set of problems, and they're more extreme, you know, especially, um, you know, you've heard about some uh, part of the story this morning about, um, you know, something that happened when I was a kid. I have a lot of great stories when I was a kid. It's weird stuff I would do sometimes, and, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, I, you, know you think you have problems when you were a kid about certain things, but it, th- today when I share it with you, it's like this wasn't that big of a problem, but to me at the time it was, and I don't know about you, I don't know if anyone here has ever had a pet lizard before, anybody have had a pet lizard before? All right, sweet, that's great, um, there's a lot of you actually, that's great, um, so maybe you'll, you'll see some of the problem that I was facing, when I had, I was about, I remember this, when I was about five, about five years old, I had a, uh, a pet lizard, my first one, and I had called everything Todd back then when I was a kid, so everything was named Todd. And so my lizard, of course, was named Todd. And this problem uh, came up with Todd, that he started to have some stuff all over him, and I didn't understand what in the world it was. Like, I thought he was sick. I thought he needed, you know, to see a doctor. And, and so, you know, I was like, hey, you know what, I'll take care of this, and um, I'll, I'll get rid of this problem that my lizard is facing. And so I grabbed a pair of scissors, and... I started clipping some of the, this, this, this skin. I didn't know it was skin, but it was skin, part of his shedding of his skin, okay? I did not gut the lizard, so don't take me wrong here. Um, I was cutting off some of that skin that he had shed, and I didn't know what it was. I just thought, you know, he was sick, or he had some kind of disease. Well, all I can say to you is this. Monday, there was Todd the lizard. Tuesday, there was no Todd the lizard anymore. And so I woke up to the, to the sad reality that my little pet lizard had passed away. Now, whether or not it was a result of my actions, that is, a, it could have been a coincidence. I think it's a coincidence, but uh, that's just the story I'm going to live with. Um, my parents taught me about what happens with such things like lizards when they shed their skin. I got taught a very valuable lesson, and you know, it was like this big deal in my life. I thought it was the end of the world, and you know, it was such a sad day, sad moment. And now I'm sharing it in front of all of you. Um, and, you know, and today we're going to be talking about something a, a lot more serious than just pet lizards dying. But we're going to be talking about something that involves an entire group of people who have been facing a huge issue, economic issues, social issues, that, they're, that they need to be addressed. And Nehemiah, as their leader, he's going to have to address these things uh, this morning that we're going to look at it. And it talks about... Really, it talks about the kingdom of God is about moving forward, and that's really ultimately what we want to come away with this morning is the kingdom of God is about advancing. It's not about going backwards. It's not about standing still, but it's about advancing 
and, and new territories in, in the world advancing the gospel. As we heard from the, the Armenian Bible Project, they're advancing the gospel through a translation in the Bible, and I think it's a, a wonderful thing. And we have talked about this series with Nehemiah. We've called it Living the Best Life, and if you would ask somebody what that would look like, um, you know, you would have a lot of different definitions. A lot of people would talk about the amount of income that they have to make in order for them to have a significant life or a better life or the right kind of job, the right kind of house, the right kind of vacation, the, the right kind of a family or whatever it may be. There's a lot of different ways to define living the best life according to our culture. But Lord, the Lord is going to show us, you know, really what living the best life is all about. And when it comes to living the best life, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. If you're a follower of Christ, you know life is not easy. Just because you come to know Christ and follow him, life doesn't just become simple, but it becomes there are situations that rise up and now you approach it differently than what you used to than what you used to do. But for Nehemiah and the Jewish people to kind of, um, you know, bring in a summary of what we've been talking about to kind of help uh, those who may have missed maybe a Sunday. And again, you can follow all of these messages online at our website to kind of uh, bring you up to speed on some things if you want. Um, but to kind of summarize the stories of Nehemiah so far, we have seen he has faced challenges within his own people. And particularly when it first started for Nehemiah, it, he's serving in a different nation. He's not in Israel. He's not in his hometown. He's in a, another nation. He's serving a Persian king named King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes has dealt with a lot of revolts and assassination attempts. Uh, a revolt happened even w- amongst his own family. And so he has become this paranoid individual, rightfully so. And so Nehemiah is serving alongside of him. He's a cupbearer to the king. And so he's this trusted individual as a Jewish person. That's pretty significant to be so trusted uh, to a foreign king like, like King Artaxerxes. Um, and then all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets the news about his hometown, that the walls have been torn down, gates have burned up, and it's a tremendous crisis happening in his hometown. So for Nehemiah... He has to approach his king, this king, and somehow grant the request to get back and rebuild the city. He, you know, through prayer, this whole story is going to talk about not just the physical problems, but the spiritual problems that were going on. And Nehemiah knew this, that the physical realities is one thing, but the spiritual realities is a much deeper thing. And he has uh, approached it in this way, that it's really understanding the heart of God, not the heart of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's heart is to accomplish God's will. Nehemiah stopped doing his own thing, stopped doing his own will. Now he's starting to do God's will and saying, you know what? God's will needs to be accomplished, and he's captured the heart of God, what God really wants to do. And as a result, he's living this out. Nehemiah eventually gets the request to go back, rebuild the city, and he's you know, rebuilding it with the people, and they're getting close to their goal. They're having opposition from the outside. Now, bigger problems come up. And a lot of it is from within their own people. And so how does somebody, you know, as maybe you have at work or at home or at school or with friends or whoever it may be, coworkers, how do you address problems you face in life and address it in a way where it's beneficial and at the same time you're still moving forward? Because there's a lot of times people face problems and they either go backwards or they stay put and do nothing and they avoid the problem. That's usually the common thing to do. Avoid the problem. I'll just, I'll just not talk about it. I just won't address it. I'll just hope it goes away. But then it comes back and it's greater than it ever is, has been before. And so for Nehemiah, 
he has to address some things, which we'll talk about in this story. Things from within, things on the outside of, of the city, people, things that are happening. It is an economic crisis, social crisis. And this is, we're going to read uh, verses 6 through 7, and then kind of, we're going to be paraphrasing for the sake of time these, a lot of this uh, chapter and as well as chapter 6. But in verses 6 through 7, here's a response, and we'll follow, well, I'll follow up by telling you what the response was for. It says in verse 6 through 7, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people with interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. What's really happening here is very important to address. What, you know, you have Nehemiah and his people building the walls, but people still have their normal jobs. So what is happening is that there are jobs happening outside the city walls, such as farmers. If you're a farmer and if you've been to Jerusalem, you know Jerusalem is packed with buildings, with people. It's just, it's crazy. So there's not a whole lot of room for farming in that area. So the farming would usually happen outside the city walls. Well, if you're a farmer and you have to go rebuild the wall just like everybody else, how many know farming comes to a halt for that moment? If that's where your attention is. So they're doing, they're making significant sacrifices. However, there are some issues that have come up within these families such as these. That they are not having enough food to feed their family because, again, they're not working the fields. They're not producing crops. They have to mortgage their fields, their vineyards, their property, their homes, all these different things because they just, they can't pay it anymore. And so it, now it's a, it's a crisis. And on the other hand, there's some other things going on. They're having to borrow money in order to pay the king's tax. That was a priority for, for, for them because King Artaxerxes has this tax. It was a part of their thing. They had to pay it. And so for them, what is happening even worse is that you have Jewish officials, Jewish people who have ownership over these things who are being paid by their own people, and their own people can't pay them. So now they're telling their, their own people, hey, since you can't pay us back in money, give us your son, give us your daughter, and we will enslave them. And we will sell them to other people, we'll sell them to people amongst us. And it has created such chaotic moments in this whole thing. It reaches Nehemiah's ears what's happening. It is a disaster, to say the least, right? I mean, you just think about all those problems. And now they throw it on Nehemiah's plate and say, Nehemiah, deal with it. What are we going to do? So in other words, you have, um, you have the lower class of individuals who are making significant sacrifices because they can't work their fields that, and because they're, they're rebuilding the wall. You have other people who are, you know, maybe they work in a, in a bank or anything like that. They're investing things. You know, they're, they're inside the city. Well, how many know they can still earn some money even though they're working because the, the, the way, their career path is a little bit different than a farmer? It's a little bit of a, a different uh, way of doing things. And so you have people who are still able to earn their money while the wall is being built, and then you have people who can't earn any money, but they still have to build the wall too. So then it's like there's an unfair advantage here, and those who have been taking advantage of it, they're enslaving their own people as a result. Nehemiah is furious, absolutely furious. He's not necessarily upset about, you know, giving out money to people and things and helping people. He's more furious about the fact that they're selling each other. I mean, it's a disaster, to say the least. And so for Nehemiah, 
You know, he has to come to this realization that there is not equal sacrifice being, that is happening here. There's not equal sacrifice. People are giving more than others. And this needs to stop. And so Nehemiah has to figure out how to address people like this. Really, it comes from Matthew 18, what he's doing, what Jesus said to do when it comes to addressing people of, of, your, of, your, of the faith. How do you address people who have been inconsiderate in doing something? They have done wrong, and yet they continue to do it, and they're inconsiderate. They're not, they're not changing their ways. What do you do? Matthew 18 first tells you to go and approach them and tell them. Say, listen, this is inconsiderate, what you're doing. You need to stop. The second thing would be to do, if that person wouldn't listen, is you get people together, and a, and, and a few people with you who, that, are, that are believers who can help with the situation, and you get them involved, and you try to talk to this person, telling them about their inconsiderate behavior. And then if that doesn't work, you get the spiritual leadership involved, and then it goes from that route. So what Nehemiah does is he approaches them first. He realizes the situation is, is greater than, and, than his capacity to really understand. And so he has to fast forward into the, this large assembly of people because, again, he can't get the lawyer, he can't get the judge to do this situation because they're the ones involved. They're not going to prosecute themselves, are they? I mean, that's just foolish. They wouldn't do that. So Nehemiah has to take a different route. So this is the point this morning, and I love what Nehemiah does. He carefully evaluates. He doesn't react. He carefully evaluates. It says he pondered these things in his mind. He thought about it. He didn't just react. He didn't just lash out. He, he thought about it. And he said, and basically what he's doing is he's asking the Lord, how do I handle this? How do I handle things in my life? How do I handle people in my life? Really, it's careful action at the same time because Nehemiah knows he has to address it. At the same time, he has to move forward and this is a breaking point because you could literally destroy the whole project if he does it the wrong way. The project would be done for. I mean, you talk about a great great problem that he is facing. And so Nehemiah has this, this approach that he does, and really it comes from Matthew 18, and he approaches them and he tells them in front of the assembly that what you're doing, enslaving your people is wrong. Don't do that. What are you doing? We have been working so hard to get everybody back, and now we're just moving them around in all these places again. Like it's, what are you doing? And so for them, it was fortunate enough that these people, these, these God's people, these Jewish people, repented and said they would no longer do it. And Nehemiah goes even a step further. He says, cancel all debts. All of them, done. All, your, all the debts that these people have for you, it's time for you start, to start making the same sacrifice that they're making. All debts are gone. And so this is what I want you to notice in the Old Testament over and over and over. Look for Jesus in the story. And here's Jesus in the story. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus will do in the New Testament. Canceling all debts. The sin debt, the debt you cannot pay back. The debt you can't, you, you don't have enough within you. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough resource. You don't have enough influence to pay back the sin debt. That you, it's impossible. This is exactly what these people are facing. There was an impossible debt, and they needed somebody to step up and cancel it. This is God's heart. Not focused so much on Nehemiah here as, the, as God, but more so of you're seeing God's heart playing through Nehemiah. And this is what Jesus will eventually do. He will eventually die on the cross for our sins, and he'll cancel that debt called sin, and he'll, he'll give you new life. For these people, they praise the Lord and they thank God. That's what it's like to experience new life in Christ. We sing about it this morning. It, it causes you to give thanks. It causes you to celebrate, because it's, there's something different when you experience life in Christ. 
And there are people that could be in this room who, you know, you could agree with the Bible, you can agree with the church and what it's doing, but, but it's important for you to know that the Bible clearly states, including the Apostle Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 10, that you've got to confess and believe. And the fact that you agree with what we say or what we do or how we approach things is wonderful, and I'm glad that you're here. But my, our goal for, for everyone in this room is to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ, to confess and believe. There is no route around that. You have to come to the point of experiencing salvation. You've maybe experienced some of the good principles of God. That's great. But that doesn't make you a Christian just because you, you agree with something that we say or something the Bible would say to you. It's important to know that Scripture is very clear. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you have to call. So for a lot of people that, you know, that don't want to follow God, that's the breaking point. I, I don't need God. I've done enough. I serve. I help. I do this. I do that. I, you know, I do all those things. But you never called because you still want to live for yourself. You still think you have what, you know, you think you, you, you know better. And there's a different route. Jesus said there's no way through the fa- to the Father but through me. There's no way. Try every route that you want. Try to be good enough, but it's not going to work. You've got to go through Jesus. And that's confessing that he is Lord and believing in your heart that he has risen from the dead. And now he wants to live in you. And now you get to walk in God's will. Not your will anymore. God's will. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's walking in God's will. He's a part of this great project, and he gets to be a part of it. It's, that's what this whole thing about church is about. We get to be a part of this great big project, and each and every one of us has a role to play. It's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. But we also see another challenge Nehemiah faces because he's got some, some things that were expected of him. For example, in, in verses 14 through 19, we'll summarize it, but he has to, um, you know, it, it was... It was okay for him as a governor. He's now elected governor. He gets a promotion, become governor over the people. It was okay for him to accept things from people, to accept taxes from people, to accept food, resource from people. In other words, to to gain wealth. And it was very common amongst those officials to do this, to gain wealth. But Nehemiah evaluated it and said, is it best for the people? No. So I'm not going to take it. He had the right but he did not do it because at that moment, it wasn't right. It was inconsiderate. Telling people to sacrifice, but for him not to sacrifice, that's inconsiderate. He had to make a sacrifice. And he said, you know what? I have the right. Everything may be permissible to me, but not everything is beneficial. Remember that scripture? Everything, I may have the right to do something, but just because it may be the right thing to do doesn't mean it's the right timing for it. This was not the thing that he said would be considerate to do. And so, he withheld from it and said, I don't want this. I don't need it. The other thing was, he has, to, as a Persian official, now remember, he's Jewish, but at the same time, he's serving a foreign king, and so he's a Persian official. He has to basically have this a group of over 150 people, Jewish officials, nobles, and even foreign leaders that would come into the area. He has to throw a banquet for them every single night. It's golden corral every night at Nehemiah's house. I mean, come on, somebody. That's praise the Lord for that, right? So it's Golden Corral every night. He's, he's got to serve all these people. It's, a, it's crazy at Nehemiah's house. And so he's serving, he's serving all these people, you know, and he has to, how do you pay for all that? I mean, it's expected of him, and he has to. And it said, he said he doesn't place that burden on the people. So who's paying for it? 
I would suggest to you, it's, Nehemiah doesn't necessarily say it, but I would suggest to you, if, he's not paying, if they're not paying for it, the people, he's paying for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. So there's another sacrifice. And why does Nehemiah do it? He says it. He says, I do it for the favor of God. I just want God's favor. I don't need anything else. I just want God's favor on my life. That's the thing that matters to me. What matters to you? What matters to you more than anything? You see, sometimes we, we have these motivations and things, and it's not the heart of God. It's not necessarily you have the right to have those motivations. It's okay for our culture to say it's okay for you to have those motivations. It's fine. But is it the heart of God for you? Is it something, you know, and sometimes, like these people, it can happen in church where you, you misuse what God has placed in your hands because you want to promote yourself, you want people to respect you, you want people to, to do this for you, to do that for you. you. You've developed this habit, but it's not really, really what you're doing. It's the motive behind what you're doing. Why are you doing it? What's the point of it? Is it for you to get promoted, to get noticed, or is it for the Lord's favor? Is it for God? Is it for his favor? Is it for his goodness? And, you know, there are going to be times where you make sacrifices. Yeah, no one's going to notice. That happens. There are things that you do no one sees. But guess what? God knows. And I may, that may not be something that, you know, gives you, you know, confirmation and hope in your life when I say those, those words. But let me tell you something. There are plenty of people in the Bible whose story is told who doesn't have a name mentioned in there. The boy that fed, that helped give that his lunch, Five loaves, two fish. Jesus fed 5,000 men with that. Never hear the boy's name, but you better believe God knows his name. So and that, that's, a good, that's a good point to remind ourselves. Is, Lord, what, how do I carefully evaluate the situations I face? But how do I act? Because if I just let it sit and I do nothing, it's going to get worse. And it could ultimately lead to destruction of what you have been wanting to do in my life. And this isn't just for church. This is for everything because the Bible says whatever you do, work it out with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So that sometimes people just say, well, that's just for church. No, it could be for your life, where you work. It could be in your family. I mean, isn't the work of the Lord raising children in the way they should go that when they get old, they don't depart from it? That's part of God's plan. That's part of his will. And so that's, that's, that's something that we have to you know, help, you know, ask God to help ourselves in and and, and God's going to help you. God's going to show you what you need to see. And the second thing, in verses 3 through 9, it talks about what Nehemiah does next, a fearless and godly individual. How does he move forward in the problems he faces? It says this in verses uh, 3 through 9 of, of chapter 6. He's getting this information from enemies on the outside. They're, they're sending things to him to basically meet with him because they know the wall is getting close to, to being completed. They know the gates uh, have been set, the, the doors just need to be put on, so they're very close to their goal, and then all these messages come into Nehemiah, and this is, and they're basically wanting to meet with him, but they're really trying to kill him, and so Nehemiah, basically, this is what happens in this part. He says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply, I'm carrying on a great project, cannot go down, why should I, why should a work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message. In his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Meshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. There's that word again. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, 
According to these reports, you are about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. This is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so let us come, so come, let us meet together. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You were just making it up out of your head. There they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthened, now strengthen my hands. What a interesting passage that we have to look at from a physical aspect, but also a spiritual one. Because again, Old Testament shows us a lot of physical things, but underneath the surface, what are the spiritual applications of these things? Nehemiah is showing us what it takes to be a fearless and godly individual. In order for you and I to know what to do and how to live your life, the Bible tells us this, Jesus tells us this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy which is what these people were trying to do to Nehemiah. They were trying to instill fear, so they're stealing their confidence. They're trying to kill Nehemiah and kill the project, and they're trying to destroy. They're basically gonna come in and eventually eliminate that wall and all the work that has been done. That's the exact same thing the devil does. It's the exact same thing. And this is such an important thing to remember that that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal your confidence, he wants, to, he wants to kill anything that you're doing for God. He wants, to, he wants to put an end to that. And then anything that you've done up to that point, he's going to destroy. He wants to eliminate all of that. I've seen that too many times. And in verses 3 through 9, it talks about Nehemiah getting this letter. You want to know how persistent the enemy of your soul is? I mean, look at this. They're sending the same letter four times. It's like, take a hint, guys. Like, he's saying, no, he's not going to come meet with you. And then the fifth time, he, they send an aide of one of the leaders. Sometimes the enemy will use aids. He will use people, in other words. Now, I'm not going to say every person that tries to come against you or do something against you is demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there are times where when we don't accomplish God's will, where we're not focused in on God's will, we're accomplishing maybe our own will or we're actually accomplishing the enemy's will, and we don't even know we're doing it. We could be doing that without, without recognizing what's going on. And so this is what happens with Nehemiah. He receives an unsealed letter to, ne- to Nehemiah addressed to him about what is going to be reported to King Artaxerxes. The word revolt, anybody catch that in the passage? The word revolt would red flags up in Artaxerxes if he reads that. The word revolt, because he knows revolting has been a major issue, and if anybody revolts, he eliminates them. But for, for King Artaxerxes and for Nehemiah, they know something. Have you ever gotten mail and you've op- you got your mail and somebody tampered with the mail? Have you ever had that before? You see a letter that's been opened or somebody scuffed it or something and you automatically start to assume somebody took it out and started reading it, somebody maybe took something, whatever it may be. Do you realize what Nehemiah caught? This letter is unsealed. That's not, supposed how, that, that's not how this thing works. You're supposed to send a sealed letter so King Artaxerxes won't even buy it because it's unsealed. If it's so true, if, it's, if he's so confident, he doesn't need it to be unsealed. He needs it to be sealed. But what is the approach of what they were trying to do? Well, if you're the messenger, if you're the mail person, you're walking around with an unsealed letter, you're going to take a little peek. Would you not? I mean, you're going to read it, see what it's about, you give it to the next person. They're going to look at it, take a peek, see what it's about. They're going to give it on to the next person, the next person, the next person. Everybody's going to read it. So what is he trying to do? Spread rumors. Spread rumors around, and it will basically instill fear in the people of what's happening. And so for Nehemiah, 
I love what Nehemiah's response. He doesn't give the enemy too much attention. He'll, he'll basically say, no, nope, you're making it up in your head. Sorry, and moves on. You know, I mean, he's so quick. I think it's a spiritual application that you spend more time focusing on Jesus, not on your enemy. It's more so of realizing where is God moving rather than what is the enemy going to do next? No, focus in on what God's doing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't keep your eyes on the enemy. That's what we're supposed to do. And this is such a, a beautiful way what Nehemiah does. They tried to bring fear to Nehemiah and the people, but Nehemiah prayed. He prayed for strength. And it's so interesting to know that the enemy is very persistent. He's very persistent in his ways. He wants to get you to believe things. He wants to do all this. But Jesus, if you bring Jesus in your prayer life, the enemy will flee. The enemy will tremble. That's how it happens. In verses 10 through 14, we even see more stuff happening. I mean, if even that's not enough. They're having false prophets, people that have been hired, coming to Nehemiah, telling him, this is, you know, you've got to hide, you've got to run, there's people coming to kill you, all these different things are happening. So Nehemiah is able to evaluate what they're saying, whether or not it lines up with God. And they weren't lining up with God. But the idea was to instill fear in the people, to instill this, this be scared and run tactic, just get out of the way, you know, let's stop, this is getting too hard. But notice who they go to. They're going to people on the inside. They're not going to people on the outside for this. There are people on the inside who are saying these things to Nehemiah. They're the ones being hired. This shows me this. The enemy will attack anyone who has a sour attitude. He will attack anyone. Because there are people, they may have been on board at first, but then the route Nehemiah was taking to build it, to do it, to, you know, basically to administrate some of the work. There are people saying, you yeah, know, I don't, I don't like the way he's doing that. I think he should do it this way. You know, I think he should do it that way. And, they, and rather than becoming more of a support to what is going on, they stay away from it and say, I'm, I'm not in on that thing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think he's going to mess things up. And rather than participating, they become non-participants. And they're not really participating in anything. And so for Nehemiah, he has to work this out. He has to do this thing. But isn't it interesting, even the one who betrayed Jesus, was he on the outside or was he on the inside? He was on the inside. Judas was one of the 12. So many times we try to focus on the enemy on the outside. Oh, we don't want people on the outside to, to come and tear down the church or whatever and, and eliminate the, the people of God. Listen, that's not going to happen because God's word tells us it's not going to happen. God's going to overcome it all, and he has overcome it all. What, is, what happens is the enemy looks for those who have a sour attitude towards God, who have a sour attitude towards church leadership, and who have a sour attitude towards the people in the church. That's who he's looking for, and that's the people that he will influence to do unthinkable things, such as these individuals that you would read about. There's, there's several of them, and it keeps happening. The enemy lurks, and he wants that, those kind of people around. And that's, how, that's what he uses. But you gotta be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, you know what, there's too much work for me to be focusing so much on the negative. Let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on the fact that there are people who are working hard, who have given up their jobs just so that this happens. And I'm telling you this, not so that we can just talk about what happens in the church, but I'm talking more so even in the, in the community because you are a representation of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a representation of God. So everything you do, the way you parent, the way you lead people in your work, 
or the way you work for somebody else, you are a representation of Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, I hope that you're a, represent, a good representation of Christ, that you give Jesus a good name and not give a sour attitude off towards other people telling them what you think is wrong with the church, what you think is wrong with Christians. Listen, you're only feeding into the enemy's plan. That's what he wants to do. He wants to instill fear. He wants to instill just this, this idea behind the things that, you know, that, that the church, man, they're just terrible people. The Christians, you can't trust them. You know, that's what he wants to do. And I, I'm here to tell you, I'm not here to, to, you know, I'm not calling any particular situations out, but I am telling you this, that I know it happens because it can happen to any one of us, including myself. It can happen to any one of us. So it's, it's good to, to be reminded that God has called us to be fearless and godly. So how do I respond when problems arise? Do I feed into it? Or do I respond appropriately in a way where it honors the Lord and I catch myself and I evaluate the things that are going on in my life and through my life? And it says in verses 15 through 19, the wall was completed. So all the chatter, all the the noise that was being made, the wall was completed. And it says in 52 days, the enemy knew that this could only be an act of God. The enemy knew. So I think what's interesting is that the enemy in this story, as well as the enemy of our soul, tries to bring fear, and he tries to steal your confidence. But in this scripture, it says that as a result, they were fearful, they lost their confidence. You see how easily God turns things around for his glory? He says, what the enemy tries to do to harm you, I'm going to flip it into a place of, I'm going to turn it into his glory. Now the enemy is fearful. Now the enemy has lost his confidence. How quickly God can turn that around when you do things the right way, when you do things according to what God's word will tell you. And I can't address every single situation. I know that's, that, that's probably a lot of our minds. Well, how do you handle this? How do you handle that? That's a, I, we could be here all day. All I know is this. God knows more than I do. God wants to meet with you. God wants to speak to you. Because when you're like Nehemiah, when you approach his, his throne and say, God, here's what is going on. How do I approach this? What can I do? Look to the word of God. You can look to other people that give you that spiritual advice to help you because the spiritual battle is the greater battle. This is what Nehemiah learned. And so this is such an important thing. But I love the fruit of the work of the Lord speaks for itself. How do you know it's an act of God? How do you know if it's the right way of doing things? The fruit of the work of the Lord speaks for itself. At the end of the day, those people who say, why do you take your kids to church? Why do you do this? Why do you think it's such an important thing to be in church? Why do you... Why do you serve? Why do you do these things? Why do you give up a Saturday to go do this and go do that? And they evaluate because they don't understand. They don't get it until they see the fruit of what's happening. And then they're like, that makes more sense now, why you did what you did. Because you didn't know what was going on in that person's life, and then you stepped in and helped. Or you put your your kids through church and, and had them in church, and you didn't listen to all the, what the other parents may say about how you should raise your kids, and you did what God told, tells you to do, and man, your kids are doing all right. Your kids are, you know, they actually seem happy. You know, they actually, they actually do things. They are actually considerate of others. I hear that all the time. It's amazing to see, you know, especially when you work with students, a lot of adults mention, man, it's amazing to see teenagers considerate of others because it doesn't, it's not so common apparently anymore. But I know that God's got big plans for all of us and he desires for you to overcome the problems you face 
and not to sit and let the problem just sink in, but to overcome the problem, to move forward so that you're not staying isolated in your faith and in the problem you face. Because God's ultimate goal is to build the kingdom of God. In order for that to happen, you've got to move forward. And you get to be a part of that in your workplaces, in your homes, in the church, in the world. We have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed this morning, we're going to take a moment here before we take communion today to give you an opportunity to evaluate your life and, and say, Lord, maybe you're here this morning and you need to give your life to the Lord. I talked to about it in this message, about confessing and believing, and the Lord maybe spoke to you, tugging on your heart to do it. Maybe you've been in church for a while, you haven't confessed and believed, or maybe you're here for the first time, and you're thinking, man, I need, I, I've got so many issues, I've got so many problems, and I just, I need God. I just need Him in my life. I need a relationship with God. Before it, God can address any other problems in your life. The problem He wants to address first is where you spend your eternity. That's the thing he's going to address. And that's the thing that you have to start to know and understand. Say, Lord, today I want to I come in a relationship with you. I want to follow you the way you have called me to follow. So many times people think Christianity is about being perfect. I can tell you there are a lot of Christians in this room who know that's not even, there, there ain't no way anybody in this room can be perfect. But it's about progressing, saying, Lord, help me to strive to become more like you because that's what it's all about. If you're here this morning and you would like to do that, just one of the ways we ask you to do that, I'm not going to point you out, I'm not going to call out your row, I'm not going to say your name, anything like that. I just want you to say, you know what, that's to me today, Pastor Bobby. Just, I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, just quickly slip up your hand right now, just for it very quickly, just slip it up and then you can put it down. Um, you know, as you're saying today, here, here I am, I need Jesus in my life. Is there anyone in this room who would like to do that today? Thank you so much for doing that today. And uh, if, you did, if you did raise your hand today, I want to ask you to take out your Connect card and, and just fill that out and let people know there's a box on the front that says, today I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Fill that out, check that box off, and uh, turn that into one of our greeters at the door or at the Welcome Center, and uh, we'll be in contact with you and just wanted to say we're proud of you and we are thankful for you responding today. But I'm going to pray for you this morning, and then we'll take up communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you.